Marini's Media. For the rest of this month, this month being September 2020, you can take out a subscription to The Athletic for the frankly ridiculous price of just £1 a month. That's unrivaled football writing and analysis from the very best people in the business, a brand spanking new breaking news service and ad-free versions of each Athletic podcast, all for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash totally to get started. Totally Football Show. European edition. Today, Luis Suarez passes a test, a real one this time. Bayern get beaten by Johannes, Bologna get a hickey, and Juve do some Roman ruin. All that, plus the latest from Ligue 1 and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. And away we go, listener, with our buddies, James Horncastle. Hello. Hello, James. Julian Laurence is here. Bonjour. Also, Raphael Honigstein. Hi. And, of course, a man with a lot to tell us about, Alvaro Romeo. Of course, James. Hello. Nice. What are we going to be discussing today? Rafa, what's your big news story? Hmm. Ah, there's a couple, but I guess the biggest one is Bayern losing a game in 2020. What? It hasn't happened before. Yeah, Who? I know. Weird, strange. They lost to Hoffenheim <laughs> of all Stop. places. Right. 4-1, huge defeat on Sunday to open up the title race, but no, because Dortmund also lost 2-0 to yeah. the Augsburg. Grizzly details to come. James Horncastle, plenty going on in that Serie A. Yeah, too much to talk about, really, James. I mean, last night we had 11 Genoa players test positive for COVID-19, which really puts their next fixture against uh, Torino in jeopardy, as well as Napoli's uh, against Juventus, because Genoa played against uh, Napoli at the weekend and got beat 6-0. Amazing comeback from Benevento in Pippo Inzaghi's kind of first game back in Serie A as a coach. And... uh, Lots to unpick from what? That Inter-Fiorentina game, which was mm. just magnificent on Saturday night. All right. Inter, who Benevento will be facing Wednesday night. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Jules, what's the big story in France? We've got a new leader in Rennes, who've had an incredible start of the season, winning 3-0 at Saint-Étienne on, on Saturday night, Saturday afternoon. And then PSG going back to normality with players coming back slowly. And Neymar with a masterclass in the win against uh, Reims on, on Sunday night as well. So Marseille is still struggling, but I guess Rennes is the big story right now. I saw those clips of Neymar. He rounds the opposition, didn't he? Indeed. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the quiet old Liga, Alvaro, what's new? Well, uh, the new thing is that uh, all the teams involved in Europe um, until late August, they've already played. And uh, Barcelona look uh, pretty impressive against a really poor Villarreal. Ansu Fati scored the brace and that was a relief for Barcelona because uh, about three hours before that Luis Suarez had scored another brace for Atletico de Madrid uh, after departing uh, for los colchoneros pretty much for free or for a ridiculous fee. So yeah, Luis Suarez's uh, start at Atletico de Madrid uh, was a little bit overshadowed perhaps by Ansu Fati's uh, breaking into that game against Villarreal. Impressive mm. performance from both of them. Okay. Right, we'll be hearing about both in the course of the show, but we're going to begin with Bayern beaten. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Der lange Ball von Baumann raus an die rechte Seite. Lili Kader-Schabek verlängert mit dem Kopf und schon wieder wird's gefährlich. Der Buhr hat den Ball per Kopf gelegt und Bebu. Rechte Strafraum in der Mitte. Kramaric! Kramaric! Tor! 77. Minute! 3 Kramaric! Which I must admit, I didn't know that's how you pronounce that, Rafa. But there you go. Key man, two goals for Andre Kramaric. Uh, as Bayern pick up their first defeat of 2020, their first competitive loss in 295 days since the 21st of December last year. Extraordinary scenes in the Bundesliga. Yeah, crazy stuff, but perhaps not totally unexpected because Bayern had that very tough game uh, against Seville in the uh, Super Cup. Uh, they came back quite late from Hungary, having played 120 minutes. And there had already been uh, lots of misgivings and warnings about the lack of depth. And uh, with Hansi Flick rotating and, you know, giving chances to some of the more more fringe players, I think that lack of depth was was brought into sharp relief. Um, they, they looked tired, Bayern, as a team. They looked disorganized. Uh, the game was incredibly open. Um, Hoffenheim were very effective on the break. Bayern kept throwing men forward, but... When that high line isn't properly supported by by what's happening in front of it in the midfield, not working properly and, and being a little bit out of shape and everyone just being slightly fatigued, it becomes very, very risky. And uh, Hoffenheim just made sure to, to punish Bayern for that. On another day, maybe they draw 2-2 because they create a lot of chances but don't quite take them. Um, and in the end, it's a sort of defeat, I think, that can maybe be even seen as something positive if it does indeed energize uh, or re-energize um, the board's uh, attempts to, to strengthen because Bayern are crying out for, for new players coming in, right. especially with um, the news that uh, another midfielder looks like he's going to be leaving uh, out of the door like, like Thiago did. Uh, Mikael Cuisance is on his way to Leeds, uh, local um, uh, sources are reporting. You know, that would leave Bayern even thinner in a key area. So uh, Bayern really need to strengthen over the next few days because otherwise I think that kind of problem, especially after a big European game, uh, can can be become a repetitive issue. Raf, um, not to come across all Tom Jones, but is it not unusual for um, Bundesliga teams to end up doing their business late in the transfer window? I thought they were sensible and above all this nonsense. Mm. It's not because Bayern are not loved by anyone, uh, James, but I, I reckon that the financial issues have begun to bite, even at a club like Bayern. Um, industry experts think that uh, they'll be losing between 100 and 150 million euros uh, in this calendar year. Uh, not overall, not, not the bottom line, but money that's just not there because of coronavirus um, and, and related issues. And it has left Bayern scrambling uh, for for replacements. Uh, they were very much in pursuit of Serginho Dest. His move has not been um, confirmed to, to Barcelona as we record this spot, but I think they have acknowledged that uh, it's not going to happen. And a little bit like last year when Philippe Coutinho came in very late, but this year it's, it's more exacerbated because of the number of players they need to bring in, uh, they find it very, very difficult. And yes, it doesn't, doesn't reflect all that well on their planning. Uh, you, I think you're right. Mm. Full train BMG says, how worried should Flick be that not only did Bayern lose, but also that they deserve to lose, arguably, for the first time in his reign? Uh, should we talk a little bit about the side who actually won 4-1 this encounter? Hoffenheim managed 
by Sebastian Hoeneß. And yes, he is a relation. Yeah, he's the son of Dieter Hoeneß. And Dieter Hoeneß is the brother of Uli Hoeneß. Uh, so he's Uli Hoeneß's nephew. He's done some splendid work um, with, uh, with the Bayern youth team, but of course wasn't uh, anywhere near um, having a future as a um, head coach at Bayern. So when the offer came in from, from Hoffenheim, he, he jumped at it. And the early indications are that he's doing, continuing to, to do some good work. So yeah, that was just a sort of a footnote of, of the defeat. Hoffenheim, classic mid-table team, they usually threaten to make a run at the European places, but then ultimately it hasn't quite worked out since Julian Nagelsmann has left, of course. Um, but under Sebastian Hunes, you feel that maybe they, they will be in the mix again. So, yeah, it wasn't just a bind defeat. It was also a really good win and a deserved one by, by Hoffenheim. An extraordinary start from Kramaric, who's now on 10 goals in his last four Bundesliga games. That, those are Lewandowski numbers. Yeah, he's been, he's been really good. I mean, he's been good for Hoffenheim throughout, really, uh, ever since uh, coming in from, from England. He's been very consistent, not always been the favourite um, of all Hoffenheim coaches. But I think his partnership with Moanis Dabur is really promising. Dabur is, is more uh, of a runner, a guy who goes deep, a guy who's going to the channel, Kramaric, um, really good in the box, uh, backhand play wide as well, as certainly has done in the past. And I think the two of them look, look very, very good together. Mm. How much is the Super Cup fatigue story, do you think, a fig leaf? Alvaro, what did you make of uh, uh, Bayern? How tested were they by, by Sevilla last Thursday? They were very tested. And I think that um, as much as Bayern deserved to win that game, the game had a lot of rhythm. I believe that uh, Sevilla had great chances at the end of the game that uh, a proper scorer would have uh, finally put in the net. But uh, in the series, not that player. And... Uh, I think that fatigue can be a reason, but Sevilla beat Cadiz 3-1. I don't know if Cadiz is much better or much worse than Hoffenheim, probably it's a worse team. But still, Sevilla looked impressive. And uh, the difference between what Rafael is saying and what I'm going to say is that I believe that Sevilla has a squad depth, strange as it, as it sounds. I, mean, mm. I think that they've got like 17 or 18 players, and if Kunde is staying even more, uh, that can uh, be competitive anytime they play, and Bayern, they are obviously better than Sevilla, they've got an alright squad, but the, the squad is getting thinner, and uh, maybe that's the reason why. Uh, I think that Sevilla has uh, a phenomenal depth, uh, especially if you think about uh, the budget that they've got, that is not so high in comparison, budget, or yeah, the mm. budget they've got in comparison to some other top clubs. Very interesting. Rafa, a week ago, uh, we were talking about Bayern, or at least I, I was, as being potentially as good or, or maybe even better as last season's treble-winning side. But the issues then within the side being laid bare very, very quickly. On the subject of Cuisance, we've had some tweets asking what he'll bring to Leeds, which is a little bit off our kind of European parish. But go on, let's answer them anyway. It's difficult to answer because he's hardly played for Bayern. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach, you've seen as someone who had a lot of potential, uh, a real number eight, uh, quite technical, but also with the ability to to make l runs into the box, but also ability to defend, like a, a complete midfielder, really. Um, and he left a little bit under a cloud because he basically forced through that deal to Bayern, which makes it even more surprising that uh, Bayern are prepared to, to sell him. But I guess it, it shows you a little bit of, indeed, he's, he's about to leave where Bayern think he is, which is probably not in contention to be a regular anytime soon. Even with their their problems in, in those positions, they seem to have decided that he's not quite Bayern Munich standard at the moment. That is not to say that Leeds will not 
um, find them a very useful addition. Uh, he is highly rated in terms of the potential, but we can't really say anything else because he's hardly played. Okay. Wow. As you mentioned, Dortmund also slipped up this weekend. We'll hear about that later on. Next up, it's Rome, James. And don't spare the horses as we hear about Pirlo, Game 2. This season, the Premier League's going to be a little different. But at Paddy Power, we're trying to look at the upside. Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some midfielders do that very effectively. Avoid European travel? Shouldn't be a problem for Everton fans. When you think about it, not that much has changed, really. New normal? Same old football. Just like Paddy Power's Acker Cracker. Get a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude. Shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Juve's opponents for Andrea Pirlo's second game in charge were Roma, a club who've been having an eventful start to their campaign. They've got a new owner. They drew their first game 0-0 with Verona, but then were handed a 3-0 defeat for having fielded an ineligible player. Their big transfer move didn't come off with Milik not joining for Napoli and Dzeko thus not going to Juve, which meant that he was captaining Roma this Sunday rather than lining up for the opposition when they faced off at the Stadio Olimpico. A 2-2 draw and Dzeko proved quite key. He did, James. He played well, uh, particularly in kind of link-up play and setting up Roma's attacks. Uh, For example, uh, one of their goals comes from Uh, Dzeko releasing one of his teammates into space but he missed two chances to win the game uh, in the second half one which was um, un rigore in movimento as they say in uh, (laughs) in Italian which is like an open play penalty uh, really Um, and Roma were left ruining what was a missed opportunity. They should have won this game, particularly when Juventus went down to 10 men early in the second half, when Adrian Rabiot was shown a second yellow card. He had been uh, culpable in the first half of giving a penalty away as well, so it wasn't a good day for um, the former PSG man. Um, But Roma, after showing such attacking intent in the first half, uh, when they were really able to kind of jump on misplaced passes from Weston McKennie and then get in behind uh, Juventus' midfield and have these kind of three-on-three situations with Juventus' defence. They didn't really create anything when they had an extra man. And Pirlo kind of put that down to them just being more organised in that final half hour, not committing men forward, uh, playing a slightly more defensive game. And there wasn't the kind of space in behind on the transition for for Roma to exploit anymore. But some questions about Fonseca's game management, James, in that he only used two of his five substitutes. Um, you know, could he not have brought on a Justin Cliver or a Carlos Perez um, to kind of unlock uh, the door uh, that uh, Juventus had put in front of them uh, in the final what, half an hour of that, uh, of that game? Uh, but yeah, I suppose at the moment, it hasn't been a satisfactory start to the season for, for Roma for the mistakes that uh, you've outlined. They don't have a sporting director um, still at the moment. Um, they haven't been able to sign the centre-back that Fonseca wants, Chris Smalling. Um, and, you know, all the other things that are going around at the moment, um, ineligible player, uh, having them to you know, start with zero points. Um, after that point that they earned in Verona was taken away from them. Dior are now complaining. Dior was the ineligible player 
Um, you know, him, he's making noises about leaving the club. Um, Jekyll not getting his move. Um, and uh, I mean, that that is the story of every transfer window. You know, he's going to Chelsea. Oh, no, he's not. He's going to Inter. Oh, no, he's not. Um, so he'll be able to kind of get over it. But um, missed opportunity for Roma, James. A point away at the Olympico, not a bad thing, but generally speaking, in terms of gameplay from that sparkling debut against Sampdoria, was this a bit of a step backwards for uh, everyone's uh, favourite new manager? <laughs> well, that's what Pirlo called it. Um, and you know, partly it was because they came up against a better team than Sampdoria, a team that had real attacking intent and a manager who knows how to hurt opponents. And I, I suppose they kind of confused things a little bit from last week in that they signed Alvaro Morata and they decided to put him in straight, uh, straight away. That meant they moved Dejan Kulusevski, who played alongside uh, Ronaldo in, in that first game and did a really good job. Um, he ended up playing as a right wing back. That meant Cuadrado, um, who usually plays in that position, went over to the other side. Yeah, that just sat awkwardly um, with everything. And then, you know, Rabio and McKenney were supposed to stop uh, Roma getting uh, the ball to the likes of Mikatai and Pedro and Jeco, and they just were unable to do that. And uh, the number of times that Juventus, particularly in the first half, were kind of penetrated by by just simple passes um, to, to those guys was was quite alarming. So, yeah, Pirlo afterwards saying, look, it, we are a work in progress. We haven't really had any friendlies to uh, to work on on our sort of new shape in pre-season. So it's kind of, it's understandable that we might have uh, evenings like this. But they've got Napoli up next. And Napoli just uh, scored six goals without reply against Genoa. They've, I think they've scored eight in both their games so far this season without conceding. Um, and they look even more dangerous in attack than Roma. So any vulnerability um, that Juventus have, uh, I think, will be examined very closely uh, when they play on Sunday. Yep, Napoli next weekend, depending on testing, because you say they were very much in Genoa's faces last weekend, and Genoa have come over uh, with a rash of COVID-19 positives overnight. All right, then we'll talk more about Napoli and other Syria questions later on. Up next selling Luis Suarez to a big rival for a tiny price, why it may not have been a good idea. Goal! El primero de Luis Suarez! En el 40 de la segunda! Balón en banda derecha! Alvaro, last week a heartbreaking series of Instagram posts from Leo Messi. Do you remember when he never used to say much? But anyway, pining uh, in the last few days over the sale of Luis Suarez. Now he's not going to see his face in the locker room any- anymore. As you mentioned back at the top, Barcelona did fine without him. But I'm going to say not as well as Suarez did without Barca. Yeah, I mean, number one, Lionel Messi is unchained. I mean, he's talking more than ever and he's been so critical uh, from the board that is paying him 50 million after tax a year. So we cannot forget that, okay? Uh, number two, probably the business of Luis Suarez, the business of Arturo Vidal and the business of Rakitic are the three of them terrible in the sense that you have you have sold a player for a ridiculous price to a direct rival. Uh, Sevilla probably will challenge with Barcelona for the Champions League spots in La Liga. Same thing for Atletico de Madrid or even more so. And Inter Milan, I can see them mm, playing against Barcelona in Champions League. And Arturo Vidal, I don't know if it's going to be important for Inter, but at least if you sell a player, you sell him for a 
for a bigger price. But uh, they couldn't make it. Simply they couldn't make it. And Luis Suárez had an instant impact at Atletico de Madrid. I think that Luis Suárez's uh, career at Barcelona wasn't going to get any better. But at Atletico de Madrid, in the same way that James Rodriguez has found like a second career at Everton, I think that Luis Suárez may find it at Atletico de Madrid at least for a year or two. And uh, he had uh, an instant impact in a game, scoring two goals. But I think that, most, more importantly, it was also that you could see or you could envisage uh, Joe Felix and uh, Luis Suarez playing together and uh, making a great partnership up front. So I think that it was a very positive day for Atletico de Madrid. It was a mildly positive day for Barcelona. And uh, it all happened in the same day with Luis Suarez, the player from the past and the present, scoring uh, a brace, and Ansu Fati, the player from the present and the future, scoring two games for, two games for Barcelona. And uh, in a way, overshadow with Lionel Messi. I mean, uh, the difference between uh, Ansu Fati and Luis Suarez, uh, among so many, is that Luis Suarez needs some time to adapt to each game, uh, whereas Ansu Fati just breaks into the game. And he has done it so many times already. He did it with Spain against Ukraine. He did it the other day against Villarreal, he did it against Valencia last season. In 20 minutes, he kills the game himself. And that is a very remarkable thing from a, a very young player who has scored, I think that... Let me check the statistic, but... Yeah, a young player who has scored nine goals in his 14 shots on target wow. with the first team, which is really impressive. So why wasn't he man of the match in the game against Villarreal? Yeah, that's a funny one because uh, the man of the match thing is sponsored by Bud Beiser, the beer, and uh, Ansu Fati is uh, not 18 years old yet, so he couldn't take the, the award. Unfortunately for him, but uh, there is a lot to celebrate. That's quite bizarre for him to have been the best player, but not eligible to take the man of the match because uh, the beer sponsorship's more important. On the subject of um, Atleti, though, briefly, is Leo Messi going to have some very jealous weekends watching Suarez linking up with Joao Felix, his new buddy? Uh, maybe. I think that the, the thing with Lionel Messi is that he, he's got a, a bitter face, or he has had it for the last two or three weeks, and uh, and uh, I don't understand why, really. I mean, I I can't see his, uh, him being annoyed because he couldn't leave Barcelona and he wanted to. But now that he's there, I mean, I believe that he has to also be part of the positive vibes that you can see sometimes in Barcelona with the Many good youngsters uh, playing around him. And uh, as I said in the previous podcast, the thing that Lionel Messi needed to feel younger again with the uh, players uh, who could run and with players who could uh, will to get the ball in the space. So I don't, I don't understand why Lionel Messi is not uh, at the minute like a fully, fully, fully committed, at least uh, from the body language uh, point of view. I mean, the best, the best quote of the weekend and probably of the season came from Atleti and Atletico and Diego Costa, who... Mm -hmm. Said he was delighted, obviously, to play with Luis Suarez because one kicks and one bites, which I think is, I mean, it's just an amazing quote, really. No, he's, Diego, Diego Costa is a, is a proper character and he can be funny as well many times. And uh, I think that he's not taking himself too seriously uh, at the minute. Uh, I believe that the Luis Suarez arrival uh, will mean that Diego Costa will not play as much because I cannot see Simeone playing in the important games with El Suarez and Costa together. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, what an upgrade this has been. I mean, Álvaro Morata never fitted completely in Atlético de Madrid, um, despite scoring in Anfield, the goal, and having had like some convincing performances, but he wasn't consistent. And Luis Suárez is probably the striker that uh, Atlético de Madrid needed after so many flops. I mean, uh, Manchukic, Raúl Jiménez, Jackson Martínez, Morata, Fernando Torres, were all under Simeone's... Uh, Kalinic. 
as well, tutelage, and uh, they they didn't uh, show their best. And I believe that with Luis Suárez, he's a very adaptative man. So he has done it at Ajax, Liverpool, Barcelona, all with different styles. And I can see him having, again, like a, a couple of really good seasons for Atletico de Madrid. Very interesting. Uh, not so grim reaper us. Why weren't any Premier League teams in for Suarez, particularly at that price? And why would Barcelona strengthen their rival? Well, that's a question to be asked uh, to Premier League clubs, probably. Uh, but Barcelona looked for for a way of offloading Luis Suarez. And there were there was that option of uh, taking him to Juve. Well, he didn't, to start with, he didn't even... Uh, there were irregularities with uh, his Italian uh, language exam. Mm. And then Atletico de Madrid just were up for it. Simeone called the player, convinced the player, and it all happened very quickly. It all happened very quickly. In the space of six or seven days, it was all done. So I think that it's all down to that. that uh, and also, Luis Suarez obviously has tremendous wages as well. Barcelona is going to cover, as far as I know, part of the wages of Luis Suarez in the first year. And Atletico de Madrid will pay the rest, but still, his salary is pretty out- outstanding. Well, we'll hear more from La Liga, including further exploits of that man, Iago Aspas, and Celta Vigo, a little bit later on. But next up, Jules, you're up with Ligue 1. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Wolf Jules, tell us about the new French leaders, Rennes. Yeah, Rennes, who are having a, a really good start of the season. They had a really good season last year, finishing third and qualifying for the Champions League. But they basically kicked on from this season. Uh, you've got the, the very young, very good talent like Kamavinga, for example. They made good signings in... Girassi up front, for example, or or even at the back in at right back position with uh, with Amari Traoré. So they've they've been very clever. They lost Edouard Mendy, which I think is a huge blow. They will sign uh, Alfred Gomez, another Senegalese international from Dijon. But I think Mendy was a big part of the success certainly last season because he didn't play much this year. But it's just very interesting to see how they do their business, relying a bit on the academy, relying on finding good players from Ligue 1 or other leagues. Uh, and then having a, a really good young manager in Julien Stefan, who's doing a great job. If you think that he qualified them for the Champions League, they won the French Cup with him as well. And now they, um, they're the league leaders. I don't know if he will stay like this. They're unbeaten, four wins and one draw. They will have tougher games to come up, but the win at Saint-Étienne on Saturday was really impressive. Saint-Étienne with uh, Wesley Fofano on the bench, uh, presumably because of the ties with Leicester and West Ham. Are they, are they going to go through, do you think? Oh, sorry, is one of those deals going to go through? So Leicester uh, offered 40 million euros last night, which is the third offer now for Fofana and probably the last one, this significantly higher than the first one they made of uh, 30 million euros a week ago. Uh, And I think this one at 40 million for a 19-year-old centre-back who is very, very talented and you might get more money next year or the year after, but who really wants to leave as well. I think at that price... Saint-Étienne will sell. He would become the, the highest seller of the history of the club, more than William Saliba, for example, or other young players. And I think it's hard to, to keep him at the club when, when this move would mean so much to him. I think he's a wonderful talent for Fana. He's so strong. Uh, he's so good on the ball as well, very quick. And I think he would be a great addition to the Leicester squad. And it would be a big loss to, to Ligue 1. But I think the league has prepared itself to lose a few of its talents, unfortunately, in this week before the end of the transfer window. Is Hussein Oua uh, one of those talents? Hussein Oua is another one, which I think that 
Uh, I think eventually uh, the, the, the deal with, with Arsenal will happen. I think Memphis Depay's deal will happen at Barcelona as well. And I think Lyon will lose both of them, which is, which is not good for them. Although I think they're preparing themselves losing them both. But considering the really bad start of the season for Lyon, who are 11th in the table, have just won, won one game and uh, drawn again at the weekend away at Lorient in what was a really bad performance, really, really poor collectively. And it's just not the team that reached the semi-final of the Champions League. It's, it's, it's incredible that in, in the space of six weeks, they've become so average. And yet, if you lose, if they lose their two biggest stars in Awa and Memphis, it's really hard for them to, um, uh, to I think, to recover in a way. They will sign Fagundo Palistri, who's a very, very promising, talented, young Uruguayan winger from Peñarol, who's 18, but he's very young. They made a, an offer for a loan deal for Lucas Paqueta, AC Milan, who I think this one will happen. But again, Paqueta, we're not really sure you know, if he, how well he will play because he's been really hit and miss and more miss than hit even at Milan. So it'd be very interesting the next few days for Lyon, but it's just not looking that good. Mm. Having said that, I mean, they were still playing their European campaign from last season when the rest of the league was getting underway. So it has been a very disrupted yeah, pre-season. Huge match coming up uh, this weekend when they host Marseille in the Olympico. Yes, you're right. Huge game because Marseille, since they won at the Parc des Princes for the first time in 10 years, earlier on, they, they've been really poor. They've been really bad. They... They drew again at the weekend against Metz at the Velodrome, 1-1 with Sanson scoring in the 95th minute to rescue just a point. And without Mandanda, again, being amazing, they, they would have lost that game like they would have lost against Lille a few days before where Mandanda had an incredible performance once again. And there's just, there's just not, one, they're not playing well. They're not getting the results. Uh, they're only ninth in the table now with, with just two wins uh, so far this season in five games. Only only scored six goals, considered six. They signed Luis Enrique, the young Brazilian, but he's a he's a he's a raw talent, and and certainly I don't think will will bring a lot to the team straight away. So again, a bit like Lyon, Marseille, it's just just not there's something not right there, and it's a real shame because obviously they started the season so well without winning Paris. Jules, a final word, if we may, on Paris Saint-Germain's two-nil win at Reims, in which Deymar went deep, so deep. He put Rance to sleep. <laughs> Indeed, I think that was the plan. Tuchel wanted him a bit deeper and he was, mm. it was outstanding. I mean, I know it was only Rance and they, they hadn't started the season well either, not like last season, but it's one of the best individual performances I've seen um, ever, really. Really? It was, that, it was just that good. Everything, right foot, left foot, short passing, long passing. The skills, I mean, there's a, there's a piece of skill that I tweeted on Sunday night where he... He passes the ball behind his leg and then almost like a like a sort of a back heel, but then bring the ball back towards it. I mean, it's just incredible. All game, he was fantastic. And he picked up a little injury, which is which is bad news. And then obviously tomorrow night, uh, there's the um, the second part of the, the discipline committee of the league after the mm. incidents in the Classic between PSG and Marseille, where I think both Alvaro from Marseille and Neymar will be banned quite heavily. So I think... It was good for him to be that good against Reims on Sunday because we might not see him again for quite a while. So. OK. But is the plan then for Tuchel to have him in, in what, some kind of a, a deep-lying distributing role then? I think in certain games, for sure, yes. I, I don't know how much he does for the balance of the team, but certainly 
there's a feeling that collectively the team can be better if he's a bit deeper because he will do less his own thing, if, if you see what I mean. Whereas that when he plays a bit higher up on the left, for example, you just give him the ball and then the rest of the team tends to just watch him and see what he can do on his own or just him and Mbappe. Whereas if he's a bit more involved at the heart of the game, he will be a bit more dictating the pace of the game more than just having the ball and trying to do to make things happen by himself. So I think it was interesting to see on, on Sunday. Again, he was against a a very average team uh, so it was really easy for him uh, and it, it might be a bit more difficult against top teams where maybe he's man-marked or where there's a bit more density in midfield but certainly on Sunday it worked and I think this is something that Tuchel can keep in mind maybe for, for, for future games in the season but it was certainly interesting to see him in that deeper playmaker role for sure. Mm. Very nice, Jules. Uh, up next let's uh, check in again on events this weekend in La Liga with Barcelona after their 4-0 win in Koeman's debut on the bench in the league. Next up, taking on Celta Vigo. Sale Raúl Carnero y sale con fuerza. Obstaculizado ahí por Tapia. El balón para Denis Suárez. El pase en profundidad. Yago Aspas se va a plantar delante de Jiménez. Y Yago Aspas acaba por marcar en una acción de una calidad impresionante. Avro Romeo, what was your favorite goal of this weekend and why was it Iago Aspas for Celta Vigo? <laughs> well, the Messi of the middle class again, he, he did score a beautiful goal. This time, uh, he saw a lot of speed. Uh, last week, he scored a beautiful free kick and this time, he, when he was uh, on a one-on-one situation with the goalkeeper, he was pushed and uh, it looked like uh, he wasn't going to be able to, to score, but he managed to put the ball in the net from a very tight angle. Very tight angle? He was he was on the touchline? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he did it with the right foot as well. It wasn't easy. So, yeah, I mean, he's the Spanish top scorer at the minute. He has scored three goals in La Liga in as many games. And, uh, and yeah, he's in a great run. Again, I mean, he, he was born in 1987, so he's 33 years old now. But still, he is uh, being magisterial in every game he plays. Celta Vigo in fourth place, a point off the leaders who are Real Betis Sevilla, despite the fact that Betis lost this weekend at home to Real Madrid. Sergio Ramos uh, settling this one with a Penenka penalty, 3-2 for the Madrileños. Midweek, though, as we uh, mentioned, it's the Messi of the middle classes against the Messi of the disgruntled uh, you know, blue-collar workers who are trying to rise up against their owners. Um, Messi at Barcelona. Woof. Yeah, I know. And the game is not going to be easy. Uh, last season, it wasn't that long ago, about two months and a half ago. Uh, Barcelona couldn't win at Vigo against Delta. And uh, I believe that that day they started losing the, the league against Real Madrid. Uh, just one comment on, comment on uh, Betis. You say that they were leading the table, and that's true. But at the same time, maybe they have uh, they will suffer from something bigger than a loss uh, from the game against Real Madrid. Because if uh, the Spanish uh, FA and the committee of competition, uh, calling, him, calling it literally, uh, understand that there has been some sort of uh, heavy criticism from Pellegrini and from Joel Robles against VAR and the referees, uh, they may be up to uh, heavy punishment, up to four games uh, for Pellegrini and uh, who knows for Joel Robles, but it could be as well uh, heavy punishment for Betis goalkeeper too. What, what, what did they say about the referees? Well, Pellegrini said literally that there was a penalty, a red card, Real Madrid and VAR together, and that is too much. And uh, he said as well that uh, he likes VAR, but uh, sometimes it goes against you. I don't know if the Spanish FA will take this very badly or personally. I think that 
what he said wasn't that hard. But definitely Joel Robles uh, was more um, adamant uh, on his criticism. He, he said that the referee was not right, that uh, in case of a doubt, they always go and favor the, the big team. And he said as well that he didn't want to to think that uh, the referees are helping the, the big clubs, but it's always the same. So I believe that Real Betis lost the game and there were a couple of decisions that went against them, especially the penalty of uh, Mark Bartra. I believe that Borja Mayoral pushed um, Mark Bartra. Mark Bartra touched the ball with his hand. There was a penalty for Real Madrid. They won the game. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that Betis may, may lose, uh, not, maybe not Pellegrini, but definitely Joel Robles for a couple of games. I see. Still, it was mild compared to what Granada's sponsors said after their defeat by Atletico Madrid. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was awful. That was uh, Winamax Deportes, that's uh, Granada's sponsor. And during the game against Atletico de Madrid, uh, Winamax Deportes, uh, Granada's sponsor on Twitter, uh, tweeted the joke. And the joke was, this is the action map of Joao Felix during the games against Granada. And basically the action ma- map was uh, the picture of a... Crikey, Alvaro. I was going with phallus, but yeah, pointed at... At Granada's goal. described a pair of buttocks in the Granada goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, and this is Granada's own sponsors. It is Granada's own sponsor. I've been checking the social media activity of Winamax Deportes and... They don't look very professional, to be honest. But anyway, that's another story. Granada has uh, asked for a public apology from the sponsor. And uh, yeah, uh, so far, as far as I know, uh, that apology hasn't happened yet. Wow. All right, then. Um, let's move on, eh? Next up, Rafa, back to you to hear about what happened with Dortmund and wave goodbye to David Wagner. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Rafa, call him Wagner No Love, after uh, David Wagner sacked finally by Schalke. You described Schalke this weekend as unspeakably bad in their 3-1 defeat at home to Werder Bremen. He leaves them without a win in 18 games, one goal scored and 11 conceded, in their two games so far, uh, this Bundesliga campaign? Yeah, the worst of a start of a Bundesliga team. Um, and you, you might think that getting rid of them after two games into the new season is, is a bit harsh. But then, uh, as you said, uh, this this uh, terrible run goes back um, all the way to the beginning of, of the year, so the calendar year. So um, it had been coming. I think Schalke, if they'd had a bit more money, would have made that change earlier. But uh, because they can't really afford, um, you know, new manager, new players, etc., I think they tried to just work with what they had as long as they could. But it became very, very apparent in those two games that uh, it was only going to get worse. And I don't think Wagner himself is is to blame for for all of the troubles because there are financial issues, there are structural issues, there are things in the background with the. Uh, uh, the chairman of the advisory board stepping down, uh, Clemens Tönnies. You remember he was the guy who made those uh, horrific remarks about Africans uh, a year ago and then wasn't really properly punished for it. Um, so Schalke are really a mess, irrespective of what Wagner has and hasn't done. But I think it was also clear that his relative inexperience at this level, this is only his, his second job at the top flight and his first one in Germany at this level, was was not doing him any favours. Um, I think he'd 
begun to kind of lose the plot a little bit, making lots of changes, um, trying out different formations, bringing back players he had uh, sent away a year ago. All the kind of things that you do when you just react to things rather than having one clear idea that you kind of stick with. And Schalke were, as you said, as I said, uh, abysmal. And uh, I don't think they had any choice but to make a change. I see. Uh, You were unhappy with that this weekend, Rafa, I noticed. You were also pretty miserable at seeing Dortmund losing 2-0 at Augsburg. It's come to something when even Bayern fans are unhappy at how badly Dortmund are doing. I don't think I'm the only one because it's so frustrating to see Dortmund uh, do this. You know, there is so much potential. There's so much entertainment in this team. We saw what they did against Gladbach the week before where they played some amazing stuff. But then they have these games where they just don't show up. Uh, They're kind of lifeless. Uh, They don't defend properly. They are really slow in attack. They kind of... It's kind of a slow motion um, defeat, which is just really painful to watch. Even if you if you don't care much for them as a as a club, I think you care about the team because they they should and could be doing so much better. And I think that is where the frustration comes in. And unfortunately for them, uh, you know, Lucien Favre still is in the job because he's he's done okay and he's done especially well when it comes to developing young players such as Jaden Sancho or Girena, but when it comes to stabilizing a team and, and and giving them that final push and that little bit of aggression, that little bit of a idea of what they should do when they have to defend or when they're up against it in a, in a quite a physical game as the one that Augsburg provided, he he always falls short. And I don't think Dortmund would still be with him if they'd had any viable alternative available last summer and this summer. But because they didn't, he's still there. He's uh, in his final year. I think everyone except expects him to leave, which in itself tells you the story about his his reign there. But you just wonder how many of more of those games will they will they be afford to to just kind of throw away, especially when Bayern show a bit of weakness. Mm. Well, coming up this Wednesday, it's the big losers derby between Bayern and Borussia Dortmund in the German Super Cup. Yeah, it should be really exciting. I mean, Dortmund are traditionally. Are really up for this and, and tend to do really well. The question is, um, you know, is it just another of those occasions where they raise their game against top opposition and only to go down the level again when it really, I was going to say when it really matters, but when it matters more often, just in terms of the numbers, playing those, those lesser sides. I don't think anyone expects them to be at Bayern's level uh, throughout the season. But they're not even at their own level in terms of where they should be performing more, more, most consistently. And I think that is the big, big question. But yeah, interesting game for many reasons. Most likely, uh, or more, perhaps most interestingly, to, to once again show that Bayern need all those uh, reinforcements urgently. And maybe to give a suggestion that uh, you know we, we haven't seen the quite the best of, of Dortmund yet. And this was hopefully Augsburg just a accident rather than a sign of more things to come. Believe me, I'm real. James Horncastle, weekend of rare drama in Italy. Beyond the Juve-Roma 2-2 draw, 
in Rome, which we mentioned before. You had that seven-goal thriller between Fiorentina and Inter. You had Atalanta back and banging. Uh, Milan, continuing their excellent run. And two remarkable uh, signing-unveiling videos. Antonio Condreva uh, doing the waiter service to Quagliarella at Sam. And, and that thing we've just been hearing, believe me, it's real, from Aaron Hickey as he joins Bologna from Hearts. And he played uh, this weekend as Bologna beat Palmer in the uh, in the derby and, and and played pretty well. He did. Uh, Monday night, um, he made his debut. He came in for the suspended Mitchell Dykes. Um, Dykes, who was often injured last season. So I think Hickey will get plenty of opportunities, not least because Sini Samohailovic is a coach who always believes in giving uh, young talent a chance. Um, he was the one who gave Gigi Donnarumma his debut and famously tells the anecdote about his time when he was a Roma player, long forgotten Roma player, and he was on the bench and was telling Vujidin Boskov, the coach, to uh, to put Francesco Totti on uh, for his debut. And Hickey, yeah, competed very well on the, on the left-hand side. He kept Jan Carimo, uh, the Palmer winger, uh, quiet. And yeah, played 80 minutes and Mihailovic was, was, was very complimentary after the game. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there was a lot of chat about uh, Hickey potentially going to Bayern as well, um, which, to be honest, I think more stems from the fact that his, well, the agency that broke, ended up brokering this deal has close ties uh, with Bayern and is kind of trusted by the hierarchy there. But um, I think he'll get more of an opportunity to play on a regular basis at uh, at Bologna um, and may even be back in the starting eleven again at the weekend. That video, though, James. <laughs> well, I mean, it starts off okay with kind of you know sort of black and white uh, mm. stock imagery of, of Loch Ness, mm. and then Loch Stock, Loch Stock, indeed, mm. and uh, and then. Uh, I don't know what the investment in uh, the special effects department is at Bologna, but it's it's clearly not what it is in their scouting department. Um, look, I, I enjoyed the Inverness Caledonian Thistle response to that, wh- oh. whose mascot, um, Nessie, um, basically um, sent a message in Italian uh, to uh, to Aaron Hickey, I think uh, basically saying, you know, congrats on your move, hope everything goes well. Can't remember exactly what he says, but... The, the response was better than the actual initial offering uh, I see. From, from, from Bologna. Okay. There was, uh, there was also a question about uh, whether you could explain the Candreva Quagliarella in a restaurant uh, <laughs> unveiling video from Sampdoria. Well, I think Quagliarella, you know, after being, what, top scorer the season before last in Serie A, last year felt maybe he was getting a lack of service. Right, um, service. And so he was he was sat in a in a in a Genoa restaurant, um, you know, ordering his uh, his antipasto and then his primo, then his secondo, and you don't really get to see um, who is who is bringing the plates uh, to the table, and then it is revealed that it's Antonio Candreva, mm. uh, renowned for his terrible crossing at Inter um, over the years. But to be fair to Candreva, on his debut. Um, he did set up a goal for for Omar Colley with a cross, great service, um, uh, which you, we then saw Samp capitulate after being two 0 up against a team that set records for losing games uh, when they were last in City. Our Benevento, right, uh, storming back to win three two, and then seeing Pippo Inzaghi celebrating in his technical areas, though, if, as, as if he was in the penalty box again. Uh, Magnificent. So, 
But that's, this brings us on very nicely to um, Benevento, who have that remarkable backstory, have that remarkable manager, and have that remarkable fixture midweek against Inter, who themselves had to come from behind. Late on, they were 3-2 down in the 87th minute against Fiorentina, but ended up winning. Benevento, meanwhile, who, as you mentioned, didn't win until December the last time they were up in Serie A, coming back from 2-0 down against Sampdoria, who might have some problems by the look of their opening two games. But let's talk about Pippo Inzaghi. So many negatives against him, both from former players or, or indeed his club presidents in the past. His, his, his managerial record's been under, under question. But this time, is, is it a new Pippo? Well, what I like about Pippo is, A, he's humble enough to take jobs in the second and third divisions. Um, and, you know, the, the first one he took at Milan was a uh, bad decision, I suppose. He couldn't turn it down, but the state Milan were in at that time, it was very difficult, I think, for any manager to come in and be a success. And, you know, we've spoken about that video um, of Berlusconi coming in the dressing room at Milanello and basically undermining him completely, um, I think, didn't help. He then got Venezia up from the third division to the second division, then got them into the playoffs. He got the Bologna job on the back of that. But, you know, we all think we know, well, we all do Nzaghi the player as being someone who scored goals prolifically for, for years. They were very negative, um, couldn't score goals. And he was sacked in, I think, January. And then Mihailovic came in and did an excellent job there. And he's rebuilt his reputation at Benevento. They had the, I think, the joint best uh, season of any team in the second division last year. Um, they won the league by 18 points. At one stage, the gap was, I think, 27. Um, and they've got a team that I think is prepared for the top flight in a way that they weren't last time around because they got up uh, for the first time in their history, what, three years ago after back-to-back -back promotions. And they still had a kind of team that was more suitable for the, the third division than, uh, than the first division, and it really showed. Um, but I think Pippo's learned from his, some of his mistakes. Uh, it's great just listening to him during that game because obviously without crowds, you could, you could really hear what he was saying. And it was just like, die, die, forza, forza, die, die, forza. <laughs> Even though he speaks so quietly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... I don't know whether they are good enough to, to stay up. I think they are better than Spezia and Crotone, um, both of whom lost at the weekend. Um, but, you know, they're a team that quite strangely in, in sort of you know, 2020, where we all talk about high lines and, 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 and pressing, you know, they're a team that don't really press. They don't really want a lot of the ball. They had mid-table possession numbers in Serie B last year. Um, but to be honest, they played Samp off the park. And as you were saying, that's the worrying thing at Marassi right now. It's just how listless and poor Samp have looked, you know, after kind of eventually surviving quite comfortably under Ranieri last year. Mm. Well, a huge test for Benevento. They're at home to Inter midweek, are they? Yeah, the Vigorito, um, right. named after their, their owner. I'm very humble of him to, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> name the stadium after him himself. But yeah. Jules, I know you enjoyed uh, the Fiorentina Inter game. Oh yeah, very much so. I cut, I, I caught it up on Saturday morning because I couldn't watch it Friday, uh, and it was just I thought Ribery at his age was just sensational, and that assist from the Chiesa goal, especially the the first one is good, but the second one is, is just something. I think uh, someone put it on Twitter to me and James. I think it was something like. 
you know, you can age, but talent, talent never dies. You know, you can get older, but that kind of vision and technical ability, he runs not as fast as he used to, but that, he would never lose it. And it was just amazing. And I, it's so good to see him like this because last season, for his first season, he had some injuries. There was obviously the burglary that I think sort of tarnished a little bit his first year there. And to see him already in that kind of form so early, so early in this season is, is just amazing. Mm, excellent stuff. The other big game coming up midweek in Italy sees Atalanta, who got their new campaign underway with a whopping 4-2 win away at Torino, taking on Pippo's brother Simone Inzaghi and his Lazio outfit in what should be a rare old clash. So, sport for choice uh, in terms of continental entertainment this week, and that's without even addressing the Europa League last round of qualifying, which is coming up on Thursday. We'll touch on some of that and look at some of your Twitter questions after we get some odds from our friend Lee Price. Well, well, well. So it isn't just the Premier League that's gone a little bit haywire recently. Good to hear. Landmark times in Italy, where Juventus are better than evens to win the league. I'm not always into that numbers chat, but this is a bona fide example of value. The old lady are 11 to 10 to win Serie A, meaning that for the first time in what feels like a lifetime, you can more than double your stake on the Juve title win. Bad news for vegans. Inter remains second in the betting despite scoring four on Saturday. To be fair, they did concede three. Or Atalanta into third favourites after their own goal frenzy. AC Milan are good again. They're Italy's Arsenal for me at the minute, but they're still 10-1 to to be champions. Over in Germany, Bayern and Dortmund warmed up for the Super Cup appropriately by not showing up in the league. The season opener, albeit two games into the season, has a familiar sounding prediction from the traders. So I've created a soundboard to drop in this regular prediction and save me a job this season. Let's try it. Bayern Munich are odds on to win this game of football. Pretty good. While the wonderful children of Dortmund are 4-1 to one to win in 90 minutes and the draw is priced at 7-2. Chat soon. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18 turns. Turns and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Here's Robin Tokyo. Hello, Robin Tokyo, who says, Just curious to know if there's a similar rage about handball penalties on the continent, given that it's been going on there for longer with a massively increased number given. Uh, not sure if the rates have been uh, higher in, in Europe, have they? The, the way that the Premier League has been plagued by penalty decisions, Cubist handballs. in Spain. It comes and goes. I mean, it, it's quite frustrating to see that uh, still some professionals don't understand very well how the new handball rule is, uh, is like. But yeah, uh, it's normally hitting the papers and uh, the online uh, online pages if it affects Barcelona and in comparison if it affects to Real Madrid. So mm. it's always like that in Spain. Uh, if it affects the rest of the teams, it doesn't make the national news. But yes, I would say that uh, there has been a little bit of that with the handball, especially this weekend with right. uh, Mark Bartra making a handball after being pushed by a Real Madrid player, lightly, uh, and Real Madrid winning the, the game as a result of the penalty taken by Sergio Ramos. Jules? Yeah, there was a bit, but there was never the, uh, the you know, give us our game back and bring our football back, that kind of nonsense in France when last season when the, that rule was was made of. And let's not forget that IFAB makes the rules and IFAB is pretty much run by English people or British people. So you make your own rules and then you're not happy with them. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. In Italy, um, there was an interview by the referee designator in Serie A, Nicola Rizzoli, um, who said kind of it's in your hands. Well, that, that, that was 
the headline from Gazette. It's in your hands, meaning it's up for it's up to the referees to interpret the law as they see fit. And I, I think the thing is, Premier League exceptionalism um, last season when they basically decided to interpret the rule with intent or whatever. And remember all the thing where they basically said, we're not going to this, we're not going to go to the monitor with VAR as well. Now they've been kind of told to get in line with the rest of Europe. And they're sort of seeing what we saw certainly in Italy last year, which was so many penalties given um, for handballs. Remember Immobile scored double figure penalties. Ronaldo scored double figure penalties. And now they've kind of, uh, they're softening the interpretation of that law away from what we're seeing, for example, in the Premier League at the moment, where any handball, basically, yeah, any handling offence is is should be punished. Where Rizzoli's like, you know, I don't want defenders to play like penguins. Uh, that was that was his line. You know, that we, we should. It's a good line. We should we should be able to we we should take into account that um, defenders do instinctively move and use their arms um and we should use discretion um you know when when someone does um so so i think that's why for example first two game weeks in city A, we haven't really seen uh we've seen some penalties given for handballs we've seen some handballs or fences but nothing as outrageous as last year nothing as outrageous as as as, as what you know people are seeing in the premier league at the moment Mm, which is interesting that some English commentators were basically questioning whether it was, you know, the, the shadowy cabal at, at, at Neon and, <laughs> and, and probably Kalina's involved. This sort of Kalina! This, uh, this kind of Mekon-esque figure, you know, undermining <laughs> the game from within with his protocols of the elders of Neon or, 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 or whatever. But it's actually, as you say, George, yeah. IFAB. And there is ample room, as we were talked about on uh, Monday's Totally Show, there is there is room for referees to take a... An, an ameliorated, uh, a more uh, equitable uh, interpretation. No, of, not always, of the rules. yes. Uh, no. If if I may, no, because for example, last year uh, in August 2019, the IFAB had to complain to Premier League because uh, the referees were ignoring that rule that says that the goalkeeper cannot take a step forward in the penalties. Mm. So not always. I think that the Premier League referees have uh, made some interpretation of a non-interpretable rule sometimes as well and that has to be said i see all right then sam says please give me reasons to believe that this isn't another false dawn for ac milan two wins from two no goals conceded james horncastle thursday night they're in europa league action taking on portuguese side rio ave uh, what do you think I think they've recruited really well. Um, looks like this morning that uh, they're going to get this player from Norway, Jens Peter Hauger, um, who played well against them in that Europa League tie against Bodo Glimt. But um, I spoke to some people at Milan last night. They said they've been monitoring him um, since since June. And yeah, I mean, they've, they've been winning without Zlatan. They, they did that against uh, Bodo Glimt. They did it again at the weekend. Um, you know, I wrote a... Very, very long piece uh, where I spoke amazing. to... Amazing. It was amazing. Thank you, Jules. Where I spoke to... What was what your favourite bit, Jules? Uh, when you spoke to the French... They've got a, scout, a head scout. He's French. He's from uh, Monaco. So that was really good. Can you believe that I, I started reading it and it took me 20 minutes to read the half and I had to leave, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I, it's in my homework list. I want to finish it. It was fantastic. The the great thing about the the scout that Jules uh, speaks about there, Jeffrey Moncada, is that he um, 
he made the joke about Monaco. He was like, uh, I'm, I love Monaco. Um, I'm a fan of Monaco. I'm probably their only fan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go and read that and you'll find everything you need to know about Excellent. Milan. All right, Thursday night, Europa League action. Probably the standout game is Rangers against Galatasaray. Steve C has a question for Alvaro. What has happened to Marcelino? Any vacancies on the horizon? No, no rumors either about uh, him going anywhere. Mm, I remember that in January he gave an interview and he said that he was exploring the possibility of going abroad, but he was a slow learner when it came to languages. So uh, maybe he's still trying to improve his English or his Italian or his French. But no, uh, he, he hasn't had any formal offer. Mm, there was some certain interest from Espanol, but that didn't capitalize. And no, he's still looking for a job or waiting for a, for a job to present in front of him. Okay. I thought we were going to talk about uh, Rangers Galatasaray. So I watched the highlights of their nil-nil draw in the derby against Fenerbahce at the weekend where a flare was apparently thrown from outside the stadium Wow! into the stadium, which if someone did throw it, that, that guy has one hell of an, uh, one hell of an arm. Mm. Uh, it, it must have been launched uh, from it something. It was launched, but... surely. But imagine if they're banned yeah. for... <laughs> You know, for flares in a game behind closed doors, that would that would be special. <laughs> but I, I was looking at where Galatasaray are in the league, and I was surprised to see that promoted side Fatty Karagumruk are top, and they have won two of their three games. <laughs> and I looked at their team, and it is as as Turkish football often is the most eclectic bunch of uh, of you know sort of A team kind of characters. Emiliano Viviano, the Italian goalkeeper who was briefly yeah. at Arsenal. <laughs> Eric Likai, who I think left Hull City uh, and was part of Villa. Lucas Bilia, who <laughs> uh, was released from, uh, from, from Milan. And they beat the champions uh, at the weekend, uh, Basaksia here, who are bottom of the table, having lost all of their three games. Because Gary Clichy left. Without Gary Clichy, it's not the same. You know? <laughs> all right. Next, next week, we need a Turkish segment on the Totally Football Show European edition. Uh, but that brings us to the end of today's show. Many, many thanks to Rafa Alvaro, Julien, uh, James and producer Charlie. Do hope you enjoy the midweek action and that you'll join us again on Tuesday. Have yourself a super week. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.